0: you it's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. So glad you guys are here. My name is Drake, and the pastor here. It's an honor to be gathering with you on this less than one hour day of sleep. How many how many of you were like responsible adults and went to bed early trying to catch that extra hour? Anybody? oh, man, are all right, we need to be your friends because none of us are responsible. Um, how many of you actually go the opposite? When you know you're losing sleep, you actually stay up even later than you're supposed to. Yeah, that's always what happens. Um, some of that's inv- involuntary. It just happens. Some of you had children that don't give you a choice in that. I understand. My kids, for some reason, were wired last night, way past their normal bedtime. We are trying to get them to go to bed early, and they stayed up even, even later. Danielle was, like, texting me. She's like, I hear the kids giggling. <laughs> and I'm like, just... <laughs> just let them giggle. (laughs) They can giggle themselves to sleep. Hey, I'm I'm so glad to be gathering with you guys today. We've been in this series called Followers. Super helpful, incredible opportunity just to grow together. And listen, no matter where you're showing up on your spiritual journey, you are loved, safe, and welcome here at City Church, both as we gather in large groups and small groups. And so we realize, man, we're coming in together every week on all kinds of different spaces. And so we just want you to know you you really are loved, safe, and welcome. You can ask all the hard questions. Uh, You you can be wrestling with your faith. You can be disillusioned by faith. You can be totally in it, following Jesus for, you know, many years of your life or brand new to it or just trying to figure out what you believe and why, we're happy to lock, walk alongside you no matter where you are today. Now, as we've been in this series, we've been kind of building over the last couple of weeks, and so you can go back on our YouTube channel, our podcast, and kind of catch some of this because it's really been a, a massive paradigm shift for us of, of growing in what does it mean to follow Jesus. So the goal we've been walking through over the last couple of weeks, I'm just going to kind of give you a review here, is, is what does it mean to follow Jesus? And this is really important that we actually know the invitation, not what our parents said or what grandma said or what we read in a book one time or what our college professor said or even what we experienced, even with good intentions in a church that we've been in before, but what did Jesus actually say and invite us into? And so we've broken it down to three categories. The invitation is first to be with Jesus, not do things for him, not not, not go to church a bunch and hopefully you know you get enough check marks that at the end of your life, you know, everything works out. Be a good person, don't kill anybody. Those are good things, (laughs) but not the invitation. The first invitation is to be with Jesus, a relationship. The second one is to become like Jesus, that literally as we're with Jesus, we become like him. How many of you begin to become like the people you hang out with? Uh, Growing up, I had this one friend that had like the most obnoxious laugh. You know what I'm talking about? Like, no, you don't? Okay, it's probably because I have that laugh, but anyway, or you have that laugh, maybe that's why you don't know. Anyway, I mean, it was like, it was kind of like a, like a foghorn type of laugh, like, I can't even reproduce it, guys, okay? It was, it was intense. Like everyone, you know, you're at a restaurant and that laugh goes off and people are concerned, okay? And, and then we were hanging out together in this friend group and, and then this one girl kind of got introduced to this friend group as well and all of a sudden she started laughing like, like that girl. And I was like, there's no way on the planet that that's your real laugh, right? You're, 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 that, that, that's so original, you can't, you can't just have the, anyway, all right, so we become like the people we hang out with. The idea is, as we're with Jesus, we start to become like him, and then, ultimately, we begin to do what Jesus did. Now, what I love about this, we've been kind of walking through this paradigm of how do we change? We all have gaps in our lives, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, we all have gaps of things we want to see change or improve or, you know, what, whatever. There's definitely things that we're like, okay, this could be better, and if, if that's not you, then you don't have any friends, <laughs> right? Like, like a, a lack of humility distances our relationships. So all of us recognize some of our gaps. The questions we've been wrestling with is like, how do we actually change? Because it's not that we don't want to, but a lot of times the how is difficult to embrace. And so we've been walking through this paradigm, and I'll, and I'll show it to you here on the screen. Um, this kind of spiritual paradigm of spiritual formation, you guys have that? Oh, ha look at there. Thank you very much. Um, so, so we talked about intentional spiritual formation happens around a couple of things. And so just kind of catching you up, the first thing is teaching. Now, now what I'm doing today falls into the category of teaching. There's a lot of ways. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. But teaching is aimed at the mind and the heart to, to give us a vision of the good life, of something that could be or should be. And hopefully it makes us lean in a little bit and say, man, I want that. And maybe you have glimpses of that. And you just want to see it grow or maybe you don't have it at all and you're like man I need that and so teaching goes against some of the stories that we we believe some of the stories we've been exposed to or living in right now and it reorients our thinking the second piece we've been walking through is practice that a lot of what we do influences who we are and so it's not enough to just believe the right things because all of you know the consequences of staying up late on time change sunday and then you still did it, right? Because information is not enough to change us. It's so important to give us a vision of the good life, something to run after. But then in addition, practice is, is key. And so we've spent a, a ton of time through this series talking about what it means as we're being with Jesus and doing what he did. But then the last thing we're talking about right now over the next couple of weeks is this, this space of community. And so it's not its not just the people you like to hang out with, but intentional community, specifically the invitation from Jesus around community, his church, what he would call the family of God, and how we grow into this, and what, again, what it produces in and through us. So what I love about Jesus, if you were just gonna kind of summarize the entire life of Jesus, you could take a Bible right now, Get a pair of scissors out, take all four Gospels, the four accounts of Jesus' life that we have in the beginning of the New Testament, take scissors and then cut them up into sections. And you could fit every story and every category of all of those New Testament pieces of Jesus' life into one of three categories. And those were all relationships. We see Jesus' entire life formed around his relationship with God as Father. His relationship with what he he would call the the disciples, the guys closest to him, what we're calling community. And then his relationship with those in the world, those who are not in the family of God yet. And Jesus was crazy intentional that his entire life was about relationships. And that's the invitation that you and I are in today. So today I want to kind of give us a a, a snapshot of where we're going, just so you're not like totally shocked by it. And then we're going to do the dirty work. Um, Dirty work? It could be, okay, maybe it's dirty. Okay, it's a little dirty, but not like the not like you're thinking, okay? All right, so where are we going? Last week, I did the groundwork. Um, I, I told you that you were made for this. We had a little bit of fun with Legos, and it was awesome, and just talking about, hey, you were made for community, both neurologically and in the image of God. You're made for community, but also we, we talked about how community is a space where we are being made, that you're made through community. We're being formed, that community is intentionally a space for us to be transformed, but Today, as we kind of walk through it, I just want to kind of give you some observations as we get into the talk, okay? So, number one, you were made for community. We talked about that last week. I don't want you to miss it. You were made for community. This is where we're going today. Number two, you've probably been broken by community. See, see the problem when we start talking about community, it sounds great. Show up on a Sunday, shoulder to shoulder, say hi, smile, wave, and leave and there's like no depth, and no, I mean, that's, it's great that we gather together, and it's so important that we're here together, but this, this is not the same space as face-to-face, someone knowing you, being known, loving, and serving, and building community together, and the challenge that we face is you've probably been broken by community. Even if you're not a follower of Jesus, like, take this outside of, of the church. We're talking about your family of origin. We're talking about your friend circles in high school. We're talking about your even worse friend circles in middle school, <laughs> Uh, you're talking about that weird stage of girls chasing boys in, in grade school, you know what I'm talking about? Like, we, you, got, you got lots of weird experiences in community. We're talking about extended family. We're talking about work dynamics. You've probably been broken by community. And so when we start talking about it, it gets a little challenging because there are things in there, experiences that only you have, that speak to how then you perceive a conversation like this. And so while I, I can't know that about you, you know that. And so I just want to kind of ease into the reality that, hey, listen, no one's showing up unwounded and unscarred by others today. You know that. But also, here's the reality that you've probably been the breaker of community. Which I was having a conversation a couple years ago with a friend, and um, he said that one of the reasons he kind of keeps his distance from community um, is because he doesn't want to hurt people. Right? He's like kind of aware of his personality you know, and, and just said, it's better that I keep my distance for, for the sake of others. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I understand what, 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 they, what he means by that. And so for you, while you've probably been wounded and maybe you have more wounds than you've given, all of us have something to own when it comes to the challenge of how we show up in community. You know what really stinks about that part is sometimes you and I have been the breakers of community and, and we're totally unaware of it. Right, like, and, and then all of a sudden relationships are messed up or they're dysfunctional or, or they're totally gone and separate and you have no idea why. It's one of the reasons that one of our values here at City Church is, is consistent transparency, that we love you enough to have those hard conversations, that you, the relationship is more important than my uncomfortable conflict. But that's a message for another day. And then let's go on. Last thing is, is I want you to understand no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, you're invited to trust and journey with Jesus in restoring community. Now, you're invited to trust and journey with Jesus and restoring, be an agent of change when it comes to community. And for Jesus, the invitation is first restoring your relationship with God, and then simultaneously, Jesus would say, restoring our relationships with our neighbors, those closest to us. Now, next week, is where we're gonna deal with community and conflict. Today, we're gonna to kinda of talk about community and family, but next week, we're gonna talk about community and conflict, and can I be honest? Like, we're terrible at this, aren't we? Like, not only have you been exposed to dysfunctional patterns of conflict, but then everyone in the room has different dysfunctional pieces of how we handle conflict or how we don't handle conflict or, or whatever. And so, so, you know, my eight's on the, on the Enneagram in the room, right, like, fighting is our love language, if you know what I'm talking about, I'm the only eight in the room, so, <laughs> so all of you hate fighting with me. Um, but the reality is, like, like we, we have very dysfunctional pieces of conflict, and most of us have not been taught how to have, have healthy conflict, um, and we have the wounds of other people having unhealthy conflict with us, and so we're going to talk about that in a deep dive, so don't miss next week. But today, let's kind of dig in a little bit. Let's attack the, the, the piece of knowledge first. We're going to kind of do some theology work, and then we're going to get into super practical stuff. You guys ready? All right, all right, let's go. Genesis chapter one. So again, I told you, you were made for community. So here's the, ob- here, here's, here's the text in Genesis one. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So I want you to notice the, the plurality of conversation here. Who's God talking to? Let us make man in our image, speaking to humanity. And so so God, I want you to understand, exists in community. Jesus would later flesh this out for us, that it's the three persons of God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We don't have time to dig into that piece, but God has eternally existed in perfect community. And so if you and I are made in the image of God, which listen, that by the way is one of the intrinsic reasons that we can love without agenda in the world around us, regardless of what someone believes or how they behave. You say, why Why does someone deserve to be loved? They don't have to deserve it, but because they're made in the image of God, we are called to love them, regardless of where they find themselves on their spiritual journey, how they act, how they behave. Now love is not always feelings, right? So so don't, don't, don't think we're sending people boxes of chocolate every time you know, anyway. All right, so so the image of God, right, is, is God exists in community, and if you and I are made in his image, then, then what, what, what can we assume? That we're made for community. You guys follow the logic? It's not that mind-blowing. You guys with me? Okay, cool. All right, let's go on. Genesis 3. So it's, it's going great until we see this happen. So God shows up looking for Adam and Eve. The aid of the tree—you might be familiar with the story. God asks the question: "Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat?" So free will kind of playing in here. We're gonna flesh this out in a second. And and the man responds. So check this out: sin enters an immediate dysfunction in relationship. They're hiding from God, who just before this they were enjoying incredible relationship with God. Now they're hiding from God, and look what happens. Adam's like, "Oh, the woman you gave me," right? Immediate blame shift. Immediate dysfunction. Can't own up to it. The woman you gave me, she gave me the fruit and she was naked, God. I mean, that's not fair. Okay, she gave me the fruit and I ate. And then he says to the woman, What, what, what is this that you've done? And God's not playing dumb, by the way. Okay, this is an opportunity for relationship, <laughs> right, to walk through. Um, it's like when, when you're a parent and you, you know what's already happened with your, your child, but you're still letting them kind of process through it. Okay, that's what's happening. God's not like, Oh, I can't believe you. The woman said, the serpent deceived me. Blame shifting immediately. So, so I want you to see that like sin enters the world, this dysfunction inside of us, and it begins to spiral relationships out of control. Let me read you a quote, and I'm going to throw it on the screen in a second, but I'm going to kind of give you some, some background before the quote goes up. So this is from a book called Relational Soul. The Relational Soul, I highly recommend it. Listen, if you want to grow in community, if you got wounds, you got things that you need to kind of work through, we have a couple of really helpful books. One of them is Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, which is a game changer. I'll talk about that at the end. But then in addition, The Relational Soul is a massive, helpful dialogue around community and us and our experiences and growing through that and, and God's plan for us. So I highly recommend you pick it up, but here's a snapshot. So here's, here's what the authors say. This says, since the first chapters of Genesis, sorry, you can, it, I'll go here in a second. Since the first chapters of Genesis, like, it's a big, big quote. It's so good, I just couldn't. So by, by the way, this message, you could like probably say, brought to you by the relational soul, because <laughs> I'm not that smart, but this is so good. I got to read it to you, okay? Since the first chapters of Genesis, relationships have been floundering. I love that word. So as the account goes, Adam and Eve, right? They're connected with God and each other in profound and mutually satisfying ways. Imagine that, imagine relationships. This is the most idealistic, idealistic version that you can imagine. They have these life-giving relationships that are depending on deep trust. Isn't that, isn't that what you want? Deep trust, mutual deep trust with God and one another. They have confidence in the truth, goodness and beauty of God and each other and are are being made into loving submission of a natural, fulfilling reality. So they have this incredible relationship happening. Then God's love for them comes into question. The serpent shows up and says God is not good and not trustworthy, and as a result, Adam and Eve lose their faith in their creator. They decide to do life on their own, ignoring the fact that their capacity for pure, loving relationships is actually dependent on their relationship with God. So the consequences of their mistrust are devastating. So I want you to understand this all comes back to trust. That's the root here. They discovered their nakedness, they clothed themselves, they hid from God who had a longing to commune with them. They blamed each other for their transgressions, their mistrust was expressed in self-reliance and self-determination, all birthed out of shame and fear and guilt." The very things that we run from and try to ignore are the things pushing us toward our dysfunction. These inhibiting emotions, once exaggerated, they disrupt and damage their ability to engage in soulful relationships with God and one another. I know it's a little heady, stay with me. Here's the quote on the screen so you can follow along. The emotional pain that the Genesis story evokes, it's deep. The implications of it are profound, don't miss this. God was for them. But they chose to believe that God was against them. They abandoned the security of his presence for the plausible freedom of their independence. Sin is a mistrustful state of being that moves us from communion with God and one another to alienation by means of disobedience and pride. This is an incredible descriptor for me. God was for them. But they chose to believe God was against them. And this influences not only our relationship with God, but but in our marriages, in our homes, with our children, with our parents, with our family of origin. So fast forward from this dysfunction that we all feel and experience. Regardless of whether you want to claim this story or not, you feel the dysfunction. You're a byproduct of it. You're a cultivator of it. So fast forward to Genesis 12. It's not on the screen, but we, we have this reading plan we share as a church. By the way, you can check it out. Get on our website. Right now, we're in the middle of Genesis. If you're following along, you would have been in this text this week. And in Genesis 12, God shows up with a remedy for the dysfunction that has entered through sin. And he makes a promise to restore all things to this guy named Abraham. And so there's this kind of motion in showing up in Genesis 12 of of God's restoration plan of all the dysfunction. So fast forward all the way to John, we'll get back to Abraham in a second, but go to John 3, check this out. This is Jesus talking about relationships again. So he's having a conversation with a, a religious leader who's asking some questions about what it means to be right with God, and so Jesus responds to him and says, Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So there's been this disconnect in our souls. We have relationships broken this way and this way, and then this invitation into the kingdom of God of everything being made right, everything coming back under God's rule and authority, of everything being restored. Jesus is inviting us into that, but his statement is so radical. You cannot see the kingdom of God, Jesus said, unless you are born again. To which this Pharisee, this religious leader responds, I think my mom's going to be upset about that. And it's gonna be really awkward, right? He, does, he has no category. He's thinking he's talking about a physical, you need to be born again again. <laughs> and he's like, ah, uh, I, don't, I don't know how that's gonna work. And Jesus is spe- speaking about a spiritual rebirth. Here's what I want you to understand. The invitation from Jesus into restoration is not behavior modification right? That's normally what we try to do. We have dysfunction in our relationships and even in our relationship with God if you're in that space. And what do you try to do? You try to fix the outside. We do this behavior modification thinking that, okay, my relationship with God will be a little better and my my marriage will be a little better and my my relationship with my kids will be better and and my relationship with my parents will be better if I can just kind of do some behavior modification. Or if it's not enough for us, we're trying to behavior modify others. (laughs) They need some behavior modification for sure, right? So we we have this effort of, of, of dealing with our dysfunction and Jesus says the answer is not external behavior modification, but rather a complete internal transformation. To be born again, Jesus would teach us that we are dead spiritually because of our sin and it takes a total transformation by trusting in Jesus that he would die for our sin and be buried and raised again, proving he could do in our lives what he said he would do to be born again spiritually. This is, this is not, God God is not looking for people who act patient and kind. He's looking to transform us into the kind of people that are patient and kind. You see the difference? Being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and then doing what Jesus did are all attached first to a relationship. Now, what are you born into? Everyone in the room has been born into a family, So this language of community as family for Jesus is you are being born again into the family of God. Let me show you in Luke 8. This is so radical. I want you to know there would have been gasps in the crowd. Luke chapter 8, verses uh, 19 through 21. Um, Jesus is is, uh, uh, doing his thing as Jesus does. His mother and his brothers come to him, and they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. Okay, so Jesus is awesome. Crowd's around him. His mom and dad show up, all the brothers, all that stuff. And he was told... Your mother and your brothers, I guess his dad wasn't there. (laughs) Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. Later, we would find out that they think he's crazy and they're trying to lock him up in a mental institution, right? Like he's claiming to be the son of God. They're like, you need to go home. (laughs) So they show up and he answers and looks around at the crowd. He says, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it, which that comes out of a relationship, right? This is not behavior modification. This is internal transformation that leads to this kind of lifestyle. But Jesus looks around the room and says, my mother and brothers, talking about family, are not flesh and blood, but those who hear the word of God and do it. This is radical because what Jesus is saying is you could be a Jew and you're not in the family of God. How dare you? Or you could be a Gentile and you're actually invited into the family of God. Are you kidding? No way. They're unclean. This is a massive moment of Jesus inviting us into the family of God. I need you to understand when you're invited to follow Jesus, he calls his followers family. And central to Jesus' vision of the kingdom of God, of the good life, is this calling into a brand new family dynamic, not built around ethnicity or class or age or, or even socioeconomic and political pieces, but rather built around the family of God and a new identity of God as our Father. Radical. Galatians chapter 3, let me show you. Kind of the circle back around. Again, this is just a t- head head stuff right now, Okay. Paul is writing to the Galatians who are really struggling with, uh, this is a little baby church and they're wrestling with what it means to follow Jesus. And he says, hey guys, don't, don't forget. In Jesus, you are all sons of God through your church attendance, through your Bible reading, through how much money you give on a monthly basis, to how much you pray, to how many cuss words you didn't say this month. None of those qualifications. You are sons and daughters of God What through faith trusting in jesus for as many of you as were baptized into jesus have put on christ there is neither jew nor greek slave or free there's not male or female you are all one in christ jesus listen i I know in our day and age like like that that should be the way it is but this is radical for jesus and his first century followers there are no rights for women and for slaves And class is everything, and race is everything, and family lineage is everything. Jesus said, if you're Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, going all the way back to the promise God made to fix that which was broken. Heirs according to that promise, meaning you do nothing to earn it or deserve it, but because you're adopted in the family of God, you receive it. Okay, so there's this dominant metaphor in the scriptures, in the New Testament, of the church not as a building not as an event that we do on a Sunday, but as a people gathered specifically as the family of God. So you're invited in the family of God. Here's the problem with this conversation is all of us have profound experiences with family. That who you are, good and bad, most of that deposit has come from your family or your lack thereof. So one of the books we recommend, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, Peter Scatzero says it this way, he says, numerous external forces shape us, but the family that we grew up in is the primary and except in rare circumstances, the most powerful system that will shape and influence who we are. The family you grew up in told you a story. Some of it was great, some of it wasn't. I can't speak to your personal story, but you were told who you are, how you fit into this world, and, and, and what to do about it. And unfortunately, not everything that you were told and experienced growing up was God's plan and and following God's image for your life. And so we have tons of dysfunction, intentional and unintentional, some of us worse than others, big T and little t trauma that has shaped us. And it shapes how we view family, how we view community, and how we view God. And so I don't know where you're walking. in. I'm just asking you to take an honest assessment. Listen, you can't just kind of walk in blind eyes to, to community and hope it works out because guess what? Your dysfunction shows up in community, doesn't it? So let me let me kind of show you a cycle here, okay? Told you we were gonna get some hoopla going on, okay? You know. All right, no, I can't. I don't have any hips, so it doesn't work. Um, or any butt for that matter. But you know, just come. Kind of, all right. Just saying. Just saying. Okay. Um. Let's just move on. All right, let's go. <laughs> so many things I could say that are just bad ideas. Um, it's like the most feedback I get on, a, on a, from a Sunday is like, why did you say that? <laughs> I don't know. It's my dysfunction. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. So everybody shows up in, in community with this ideal. So let's specifically, so we're talking about community in general, but then specifically the family of God, okay? So again, no matter where you're on your spiritual journey, you show up and you have this idealized version of community, right? I wrote these, you guys freaking sweet penmanship, right? All right, so you have an idealized version. So you show up to community, and it's awesome, and things are great. It's kind of butterflies and rainbows, kind of like at the beginning of a relationship. All you can see is all the good in the person you're dating, even though there's tons of dysfunctions. You're just like, there's just an idealized version of community. So you show up to city church and hope you're like, man, these people are awesome. I could, I could call this place home. I drink so funny. He's a little weird, and he talks too much, and you know, you have all these things. You're like, it's idealized, right? But then eventually, um, you you move into disillusionment because I say something really stupid on a Sunday (laughs) and you're like, I'm never going back to city church. Um, Or, you know, you're you're in community at a city group and, you know, someone just keeps smacking their gum in your ear and what sounded so amazing at first, you're like, holy, or that person just won't shut up. And you're like, I really was looking forward to community, but that person is driving me bananas, right? Or everyone's gluten-free and so you never have any good food in your group. And so you're just like, I, I really was looking forward to it, but I just can't anymore. By the way, I heard that one group last week had like tons of candy, and it was like the best group they've ever had. So if you're taking notes, that's the way to make community good is a bunch of nerds, okay? Um, nerds the candy, not nerds the people. I guess nerds are welcome, by the way, in our community. All right, anyway, so there's disillusionment, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then here's what happens. It, when we get disillusioned by community, and it happens, guys, You get in community, and I don't know your ideas of what you've experienced, but you get in a community, and then when you get disillusioned, that person didn't text you back, someone said something hurtful, they gave feedback that wasn't welcome, they didn't check on you when you were out for two weeks, they didn't show up to help you move, you get disillusioned, right, right? Because people are broken, and they're not whole yet. And, And normally what happens here is there's a break, and we dip out, and we go, and we just run somewhere else. And this is the moment where we break community, we stop showing up at church on a Sunday gathering. We stop showing up at group. And we haven't talked to anybody, but there's disillusionment. Or maybe there's a little bit of conflict you haven't been able to work through. And so we just bail. And this is the pattern of the American church, right? A little church shopping and church hopping and just go where it's not uncomfortable. And if I get in a really, really big church where no one knows my name, that's the best because there's no accountability, <laughs> right? And so, so, so then we just, we just break. And this is the cycle of community. So there's idealized ideas of community. You get disillusioned, and you have a choice. You can break, or you can accept... And settle hard. Yeah, right? That's what we're all looking for is just to settle, (laughs) right? But, but, But seriously, think about it, right? You can accept the reality that there are broken people just like you that you're trying to build community with, and there's gonna be moments of disillusionment that you have to press through and stay committed to community. And this is how the cycle of relationships work. If you move into it, and then again, as you move into it, it goes back into, there's an idealized version that gets disrupted by disillusionment every time. It will happen, by the way, every time. You can break and ditch it and go somewhere else, or you can stick it out, embrace acceptance that this is what family looks like, and stay in my city group, at my church. Now, I say all that to help you understand the process, okay? Because we have all these fears, we have these insecurities, we have broken parts of ourselves, we don't want to be exposed, we have just, you know, wounds that we're trying to process through. So what I want to do for the rest of our time is just kind of briefly walk you through how to address these pinch points. So let's talk about the breaking points for a second, okay? What what causes us to break and dip? Number one is going to be safety. And this is real, guys. I don't want want to minimize the reality we're talking about today. Safety is a big deal. And maybe you grew up in a space where home was not a safe place. Relationships weren't safe. Or you've learned that relationships aren't safe. And so then the idea of community is terrifying to you. Letting people in is terrifying. And so then we can't create this emotional vulnerability because we don't want to be hurt again. So here's the deal. Listen, this is a real breaking point that you have to acknowledge and accept if you're going to move forward. But if you're a part of community, I need you to understand it's your job to make it safe, to keep it safe. You've got to be safe people. You know that, right? And all of us are dysfunctional. All of us are going to drop the ball. So it's not like, okay, everyone else, do your job, be safe, and I'll never get hurt. It's not not how it works. There's going to be conflict. There's going to be moments where where someone drops the ball, but acknowledging that this is a moment where, hey, you know what? When safety is an issue, I'm going to stay anyway, And again, listen, don't move into the categories of, like, actually unsafe people. That's not what we're talking about, okay? These are just dealing with our internal wounds. Number two is communication. A breaking point for us is maybe you learned, you just had a very dysfunctional, like, learning of communication. And so, for example, maybe you grew up in a home or in relationships where there was just indirect communication, right? It was your job to read everybody's mind. And if you didn't, then the relationship was disrupted. Right? Or maybe you just had like a passive-aggressive level of communication. And so we have these dysfunctional ways of learning how to communicate. Or, or you know, maybe, maybe it was for you, you know, it was intense volume all the time, and that's all those things are triggers. So we get into community, living life with people. And listen, if there's not any connection, there will never be any growth in your life. But we have to relearn how to communicate, and you can't do that outside of community. So it, it just embrace the reality that communication is a challenge and you've got to grow in it and so do others. So you've got to be a safe place for other people and you've got to, you got to show up embracing that this is going to be a safe place for you. Number three, conflict. Dun, 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 is inevitable. You can't have intimacy without conflict. For some of you, conflict means separation. It means abandonment. It means hurt. And so anytime even the inkling of it comes up, it's just massive emotions. And listen, listen, I'm telling you, if these are deep, deep wounds for you, Counseling is a must. Picking up the relational soul is a must. There's a book called Try Softer. Like if you need like a counselor on paper, (laughs) try softer. I mean, you got to work through these. Don't don't pretend like these aren't here. They don't go away just because you acknowledge them. Conflict is real. But listen, conflict does not have to mean the end of a relationship. I know it might have for you at times. But conflict can lead to actually more intimacy on the other side when when we say this relationship is more valuable than what we're walking through. Number four. Expectations. So tricky, right? Because, like, all of you have expectations, but they lie dormant until they're unmet. They're so hard to identify. You have expectations of what time we're getting out of here today and what group's going to be like and if they're going to bring candy again next week. <laughs> there are expectations of what kind of, rela- you know, my, I'm going to find my BFF in group. And I'm going to have these different things. And so expectations, when they go unmet, they lead, to dis- they lead to disillusionment and disappointment. And every one of you has different expectations, whether intentional or not, when you show up in community. And because they're not talked about, they only come up when they're unmet, and then it's frustrating. And so then we break community, or we talk it through. Here's the deal. Your expectations should not have the power over you on whether or not you're going to commit to community or not. You and I are not to be ruled by our expectations, but rather to learn them and to readjust them and to settle hard. (laughs) That's what you do in a a relationship, right? You evaluate your expectations and you adjust. Listen, from a relational soul, here's what they say. In no way does the complexity and gravity of our situation absolve us of responsibility. There's real hurt. There's real pain. Community's hard, but Jesus wants to use it. But here's the reality, to blame our reactivity and our dysfunction on the devil, or on our parents, or on anyone or anything else, is actually to doom ourselves to continual relational failure with God and others. If you and I want to change, we must own our reality before God. We must show up to God and others with a willingness to acknowledge that there is indeed a false self at work inside of us. Influencing what I do and what I say and I've got to learn to surrender myself trusting that God is good and he actually wants to do something for us that we can't do on our own. This is why God has provided the community of faith, the family of God. In it, we learn what it means to trust as we experience the church, church trusting God and one another. You can see this, how core this is to our following of Jesus. Jesus said, it's by your love for one another that the world will know you're my followers. This is a high calling, and it's really hard. And that's why when it comes to the spiritual formation paradigm, all of the, this has to be done through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because you and I aren't good enough on our own. I'm going to invite Kari to come, and as she comes, I'm going to just give you a few application things to wrestle with this week, okay? So how do we learn to trust in Jesus? How do we learn to trust others? The first thing you and I have to do is we're going to have to choose. We have to make a conscious decision, a volitional decision. First of all, to be intentional. You and and I, we have to decide ahead of time that we're going to choose these people, right? I mean, I mean, listen, I was having conversations this week, and people are like, oh my gosh, it's already Thursday. Ah, <laughs> oh, group again. And we have these things of like, listen, group is great, but also life is hard. And, and, you know, there's something about 6.30, you're tired, and you're hungry, and you're sleepy, and you're like, I gotta choose these people again. I'm gonna hide the gum this time um, so they can't smack it in my ear. And, and, right, and, and it's hard. You have to be intentional. You have to choose to show up over and over again. Life together, real participation as the family of God, friends of each other, and a community of faith. Listen, it's ordinary, it's incomplete, it's challenging, and it is riddled with routine. There aren't profound experiences every time you show up at a city group and God changes your life. But it's in this space that we learn to surrender to God and one another, and we give up kind of our grandiose notions of what life ought to be we begin to learn. We have to learn to come to term. And we have to choose to come to term with our expectations. There is a big difference between my needs and my expectations. And unfortunately, I'm not always able to tell the difference. So I've gotta be in community. I have gotta be around people that allow me to see what's realistic and what's not. I've gotta choose to work hard. You're not gonna show up in community and just automatically have amazing, deep 3 a.m. friends, your closest circle, everything's just butterflies and rainbows all the time. Community, you gotta work hard. You gotta choose to work hard. Most of us, we want the destination without the journey. We wanna be on top of the 14-er without climbing the 14-er. And it's, it's not how it works in relationships. This one's hard for me. You have to choose to acknowledge that Jesus' way is better. Guys, listen, sometimes you and I are just gonna have to decide to do something because it's right, even though we don't like it. That, that maybe I can just admit that I don't know better than Jesus. But I am invited to follow Him and to trust Him. And lastly, we've got to choose to acknowledge the, the need that we have. Even in the middle of all our dysfunction, if you dig deep down, you are made in the image of God and you're made for relationships. And when you don't have it, It's lacking. But it's not your job and my job to put it on other people, but rather on us. And the last thing is this, we're gonna have to commit. You're invited to commit to a broken community full of broken people. No one's showing up as their Instagram selves. Ideal goes out the window really quick. There's mutual commitment in the room that these are my people and I'm gonna be there for them, and I'm not gonna bail when it gets hard. And number two, I've got to let go of autonomy. The invitation from Jesus is to deny myself and love others before myself. That I'm going to put myself in a position to be in community so people can challenge me and push on me, even when it's hard and uncomfortable, so I can grow. So God can bring healing and transformation. And the last thing is this you and I have to commit to working things out privately and in community. You can't do this without others. But you can't just show up and expect that everything just shifts on its own. There is deep work to be done in your heart and soul. And so when we recommend resources, listen, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, the relational soul. Try softer if you're you're even wanting to dig deeper. In, In Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, there's a tool called the Genogram, and it's mapping out your family tree and following the patterns of dysfunction so that you can identify and then surrender those pieces of dis- dysfunction. Peter says that we tame our feelings by naming our feelings. That if you want to start new patterns in your own life, you got to first identify the ones that you've inherited. And you got to make a conscious decision to break them. And guess what? You can't do that on your own. I got to go to somebody else who loves me. who looks me in the eye and I say, hey, I'm struggling with this. I don't want to be angry. I don't want to be impatient. Will you help me? Will you hold me accountable? I don't want to be lazy. I want to spend time with God. I want to be transformed. Right, we, we have these things that we need to invite other people into. So I know this is a lot, but I hope it creates a vision in your heart and mind for what could be. And because you're made in God's image because of what should be. So I'm going to pray for you. So you bow your heads with me. As you bow your heads and close your eyes, just take a moment to reflect on all that God has done in your heart and mind today. And as you do that, I just want to invite you to, to wrestle with maybe your commitment. Think about the cycle. Where are you today? Are you in the zone of ideal? Are you in the zone of disillusionment and trying to decide what's next? Have you already broken things? Do they need to be restored? Have you accepted and continued in the cycle? Where are you today in relationships, specifically in the family of God? Now, where do you want to be? What are you going to do about it? And friends, listen, if you're in the room and you're not a follower of Jesus, I just want to invite you. Everything that Jesus wants to do in community, it starts first with him. The invitation to be born again is not something you and I try really hard for. It's something we receive. It's a gift of God that Jesus paid for with his life. He died on the cross for our sin. All of our dysfunction toward God and one another, Jesus died. He shed his blood to pay the payment to literally save us from the consequences of our sin. He was buried and rose again from the grave, proving that he was who he said he was, punctuating that reality so that we could then trust in him, that he really can forgive us, he really can make us new, and we could be born again spiritually. And some of you have never been born again spiritually. Come to a place in your heart and mind where you not only believe cognitively that Jesus is who he said and, and, and what he did is true, But then also there is a turning over of your heart and mind toward that reality. Taking a step, if you will, of embracing that reality. And if you've never trusted in Jesus, I'm inviting you to do it today. Right now, in this space, Jesus, I believe you died for me to make a way so I can be made new. I want to be transformed from the inside out. I want to be with you. And I want you to restore things in and through me and around me. However you would pray that today in the silence of your own heart and mind, I want you to have confidence today that as you pray that prayer, you are being transformed in an instant. You are being adopted into the family of God. You are being forgiven of sin, set free, made new, not the same person you walked in today. That's what Jesus does for you and I others of us have experienced that life change. We have been born again, and our hearts filled with gratitude when we think about it, and I hope it drives us back to that reality that we were made to be in relationship with God and one another, and we would surrender. Jesus, you've already done so much work in my life, but there is so much to be done, and you want to do it through community. So Jesus, we surrender. We're going to show up in our city groups this week, as our true selves, as our authentic selves with all of our brokenness. We're gonna invite other people in. We're gonna ask you for help. We're gonna be safe people. We're gonna be shockproof people. We're gonna be loving in, in incredible ways because of the spirit you've given us. And because of what you're doing through our communities, Jesus, the world around us will change. Boulder will never be the same. We're going to see churches planted in the West and the world, and we're going to see your community and your church move into every area so that people can know that they are loved by you, and they're going to feel loved by us. Jesus, thank you for your love for us and making a way. Amen.